What is going on, everyone? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blanford, and today I'm talking to James Grout. So I got to be honest, this episode is one of those that from the beginning of Theology of Hustle, I knew I was uh, going to have James on this podcast. When I was a young youth pastor at Life Church, uh, James worked at the church across the street from me. And he, as a, I guess at that time, maybe 15 year in youth pastor, kind of took me under his wing, showed me how to like run a retreat and just uh, was a listening ear uh, for me. And somebody who's been very influential in my ministry and, and what I do. And uh, so James is still somebody that I, I talk to with some frequency and, and stay up with and, and bounce ideas off of. And yeah, he's just somebody that I, I really uh, respect and trust. So I'm excited for you to hear from him. He has quite an incredible story. Uh, after 20 years of youth ministry uh, here in the Wheaton area, moved out to Colorado and his life kind of got turned upside down uh, when, you know, as a pastor in that role, he goes through a divorce and is sort of working out what does ministry look like now uh, at a at an organization called One Child and, and how all that stuff influences uh, what he does as his job. It's, it's incredible. Uh, James also has a story of just God rescuing him in the depths. And uh, you're going to, you're going to really enjoy hearing about, about his story. He is a, person with a lot of wisdom. And I really appreciate that. We talk a lot about uh, ministry, uh, both youth ministry and and intergenerational ministry. And then we talk about singles in the church uh, because James has now found himself in that that position as as a single dad. And so Lots and lots of great stuff in this episode. You are going to love it. Uh, I just want to remind you, if you think about it, uh, go ahead and leave me a rating and review on iTunes or whatever app you use. And you can make sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Theology of Hustle and then on Twitter at Curry Blanford just to stay up to date with everything going on. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited for you to hear from James. So here is the interview. Well, uh, James, I can't say thanks enough for coming on uh, Theology of Hustle and chatting with me, man. It's fun. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, man. It's been a it's been a little bit, but uh, but it's like uh, it's just like old times. I think uh, it is. Yeah, we, we up, always so. pick up right where we left off. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, let's just uh, jump off here and just have you introduce yourself to everyone. Okay, my name is James Grout, and. Uh, I live in Vancouver, Washington, which is, I feel like I have to explain for a lot of people who don't know the Pacific Northwest that this has nothing to do with Vancouver, Canada. Um, (laughs) Vancouver, Washington is actually a small town. Well, it's not really a town, it's a city, but it's kind of a suburb of Portland, Oregon, just across the river from Portland, Oregon. So we're way on the south end of of, uh, Washington state. So I feel like I'm over explaining, but it's because people... (laughs) Always assume that Vancouver, Washington is like across the border from Vancouver, right. Canada. Right. Oh, I'll, I'll admit, I did not. I had to look it up. You know, okay. and I was like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. So yeah. you're good. You're good. I can always tell when someone's a little confused when they say, "Oh, it's so beautiful there," and I'm like, "Well, it is," but I think you might be thinking of a different place. They'll be like, "That's my different. favorite city," or "I loved when the Olympics were there." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, the Olympics were never here. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, and I work for an organization called One Child. It was formerly called One Child Matters, but we've just recently rebranded and uh, apparently 
got rid of the word matters when it comes to children. <laughs> they all matter. So we got rid you of that. You one child. Yeah, you simplify the message, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I can't wait to talk about one child. Let's, though, start off by just wa- walking through your uh, your vocational journey. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's take us on the ride. Okay. Well, I um, so I I grew up in a pastor's home, so ministry was sort of in, in front of me, a part of me, kind of my whole life. Had absolutely no interest in being a pastor, um, and. It was, I was probably, I grew up in Canada. I'm not Canadian. I was born in the States, but I grew up, most of my formative years were there. And I was probably like 18 years old when, um, when I, I, I felt like God was talking to me and that was weird to me. I, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about God talking to them. So I felt like he was saying something. He was saying something really specifically to me. And the specific thing he was saying was that he wanted me to teach the Bible and he wanted me to teach the Bible to teenagers. So I went to my uh, youth pastor and I said, I think God's talking to me. And he was like, I thought he'd be all weirded out. And he wasn't. He was like, oh, it's great. What's God saying to you? He said, well, I think he's telling me to teach the Bible to teenagers. And he said, he said, that's great, James. Like, uh, you, you should do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. But how am I going to get paid for that? Like, how, how is that a job? <laughs> and he said, well, James, you know, that's what I do, right? I was like, oh, yeah, you do. Wait, do you get paid? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I have an office and everything. Um, so that was kind of the first time I realized that this this calling, this thing that I didn't call it a calling at that time, but this thing that God was saying to me um, might actually be, there might actually be sort of a career path that would fit with teaching the Bible to teenagers. So um, at the time, my plan in life was to be a grocery store manager. I found out that the manager at the grocery store I was working at was making like six figures. And I was like, that guy's an idiot. I could probably do that. <laughs> I could be a better manager than him. So that was kind of my plan. But um, when this when this calling happened, I, I started asking around, what do I do? And people said, you should probably go to Bible college. If you're going to teach the Bible to teenagers, you probably need to actually have a Bible degree. So I did. I went to a school in Minnesota called Crown College, got my Bible and theology degree there in four years, and um, and then went back to Canada. Uh, fully expecting Calgary is where I grew up went back to Calgary fully expecting to just have job offers just piling on top of me because I had a bible degree now and I wanted to be a youth pastor and the truth is I didn't find a job like two years I looked for a job so I was driving delivery vans and painting and doing all this other stuff trying to uh just kind of stay afloat I did an internship at a church so I kind of got some practical experience but just waiting around And then I started to question the call. Like, then I was like, oh man, like, did God really say that? Should I really wait around for a job or should I get serious about being a grocery store manager? (laughs) So, um, yeah, two years in to kind of looking for a job, I was, um, I fell in love during that time and, and was about to get married to the love of my life. And, and right at the exact same time as we were planning wedding and everything, I get this call from a church in Wheaton, Illinois. It says they've been looking for a youth pastor for about a year. And I said, well, I've been looking for a church for about two years. <laughs> so we seem perfect for one another. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd never been to Wheaton, but 
I'd heard of it. And so I did a little bit of research. They did a couple of phone interviews, flew us down. Uh, even still, before we were even married, flew us down to interview us and offered us the job. So that was mm-hmm. that was my first ministry uh, job. Never wanted to be a pastor and still to this day, don't feel like it was necessarily kind of like following in my father's footsteps. I just really felt like I was responding, responding to a calling. Um, But following my father's footsteps wouldn't be a bad idea. He was, he is a great man and was a great pastor. But um, so yeah, ended up moving, getting married and then moving to Wheaton, Illinois and being the pastor at what was then Blanchard Alliance Church and Blanchard actually back then it was Blanchard Road Alliance Church. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I was there for 20 years. So I didn't know that I was signing up for 20 years when I took that job, but, uh, but I was there for 20 years. So, and I love it. I love, I love youth ministry. And, uh, and actually I feel like I could have done, I could have stayed 10 more years. I, I didn't feel like I had to leave. It was, um, there were some other things happening in in my heart and um, in my life, and so I, I did leave. But I felt like I could have stayed for a lot longer. So yeah, I mean that's and so mm-hmm. yeah, we met at while you were you know in the, uh, a youth pastor at uh, at at Blanchard at that yep. point, and um, it was just amazing to me. I mean, you uh, yeah. I feel like you were very formative for me in my early years of youth ministry, right? Like, I feel like youth pastors have this uh, sort of shelf life a lot of times, you know, and if somebody <laughs> doesn't kind of take them under their wing and sort of show them the ropes, it can be it can be a really hard job. It really can. Yeah, um, I would yeah. agree with that. And and people did that for me as well. I had some right. really good um, older youth pastor mentor kind of people mm-hmm. in my life, which was great. And you know that, yeah, shelf life is an interesting way to, to say it. Uh, youth pastors often burn out yeah, um, right. or they burn themselves out of a job. Like they do something right. really you know, stupid or they do a lot of stupid things compi- com- compounded. And then right. that is how they come to the end of their career. Uh, but I will say this about that church and the culture of that church. The reason I was able to stay there 20 years was because they didn't say, okay, just stay in your lane. All right. You do your youth pastor stuff over there and don't, you know, don't bother anybody else and don't expect too much. And, you know, they allowed me to, in fact, they almost required me to get involved in leadership at our denominational district level and even Mm -hmm. at a national level. And they wanted me to take, um, kind of take the lead in getting pastors, youth pastors together and creating some kind of a youth pastors cohort community kind of thing. So yeah, there was never anything super formal about that. In some cases, there were there there were moments, but um, but I just kind of took that as part of my job that that's what I was supposed to do, and they gave me opportunities to preach and grow in that area. They gave me opportunities right. to lead things that were beyond the scope of youth ministry, and so I never I never felt like I was just running out of things to do. I was I was just right. spinning my wheels year after year after year doing the same old things. So it was, it's it's a testament to the leadership at the church um, that I was able to stay there that long. Yeah, I mean developing developing your young pastors seems like sort of a given, but it's so rare in I think the church world a lot of times, right? That you like you know bring a pastor along and really mentor uh, that person into you know into a different roles. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like um, 
I feel like youth pastors, <laughs> typically youth pastors get hired to solve a problem. Not yeah, always, sure. but but yeah. typically they get hired to solve a problem. And the problem is often like one of the elders' sons is the problem. <laughs> so let's hire a youth pastor because my son, I don't know what to do with my son. And um, and when the youth pastor isn't able to fix that problem, then they start going, well, he's, he's not or she is not what we thought that they were going right. to be. And so they start moving them along and, uh, and it seems like it's not a good fit. I was allowed to fail. I failed a lot. Um, yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I, I wouldn't call what I have as, I wouldn't describe it as regrets, but there's certain things that I would definitely do differently now. There's sure. certain students that I would treat in a very different way than the way I treated them mm. uh, when I first started out in youth ministry. I, I was pretty immature myself, you know, 20, yeah. I was, I was an older youth pastor for first job. I was 26 by right. the time I started there, but, um, but I just, you know, I was green. I didn't know very much. And I actually have two teenage daughters now. So I know, I know even less about teenagers now, apparently <laughs> so, <laughs> been working uh, with them for almost 30 years, but apparently I know nothing. So, uh, it happens, great. man. It happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the way, the way you always described youth ministry to me too, was just this, like this, um, I don't, I don't even remember the words you put to it, but it was like you, you felt just compelled, like you understood what students were going through, like at a different uh, level. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I call that my, uh, my blessing curse. Um, <laughs> I have this, I have this, and I really do believe God gave this to me, uh, early on. I remember this, even when I was still a teenager, having this feeling yeah. towards other teenagers, which was, um, which was empathy. And I may misuse the words here, but I, I just define empathy um, differently from sympathy and that sympathy is feeling bad for someone. Empathy is feeling yeah. what the person is feeling. I have no idea if that's what those words mean, but that's how I use them. <laughs> um, and and this empathy thing, I really like I can remember uh, it still happens to me today. If I'm if I'm in a room with teenagers, I can feel what they're feeling. So I can remember like students, like their first heartbreak, you know, the first boyfriend yeah. they ever had and they broke up with, got, you know, they got dumped by him or whatever. And I remember not just feeling bad for them, but feeling like, oh, I got dumped. Like <laughs> I yeah. feel it inside of me. And I, and I would, I would, it wasn't really like flashbacks to when I, when I used to get dumped, it was more like an actual, um, experience that I was having with them. And same things with great joy. Like I made the, you know, I made the. Uh, basketball team for the first time some student tells me and and I feel that joy like I'm I'm excited inside of me and I I told God one time I don't remember when but I said um, if you ever take this gift from me this curse uh, gift I'll get out of youth ministry uh, if you never take it from me I'll stay in youth ministry forever because I just mm -hmm. I just feel like there are far too many professional youth workers out there who don't actually have an empathy for the, the yeah. people that they work with. And, and the, the reason I call it a curse is because um, that's also a heavy burden to bear when you feel everything that teenagers feel. And so <laughs> I, I would regularly um, go home from a, an event feeling a little bit devastated inside, not because of anything I had done or anything that had been done to me. It was just because I felt so much of what they yeah. were feeling and how hard it is. And so I'm experiencing that even now with, with my own daughters, like I feel mm. what they feel and it's, it's heavy, that's a heavy weight to carry. Right. Um, but it's also a beautiful weight to carry. I don't, I don't know how, 
I don't know how to do, I wouldn't know how to do youth ministry without that. that that's yeah. probably the best way to say it. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Uh, is this a good time for us to just sort of pause? I mean, we've talked about sort of youth pastor culture. Can yeah. I'd love your philosophy just on how we do youth ministry as a church. And like, mm-hmm. maybe this is too big of a question right now, but like how yeah. we should be doing or what where you see the sort of flaws in what we're doing now as a church. Yeah, without going back too far, um, we we've done some things we we set up some systems back in the you know like 60s 70s 80s when it came to youth ministry that served us really well but we didn't um so you know the come and see version of youth ministry like come and check us out like we've got these great events we're super fun we're laid back we're cool we're not your parents um you know that kind of a that kind of a thing and you're going to, we're going to do stupid games and you're going to love it. And then we're going to get serious and we're going to worship and we're going to study God's word together. And we're going to be disciple makers. We're going to turn you into disciples. Um, that's part of what we're going to do. And I think all of that was done with great intent. You know, parents were like, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for taking this child that I don't understand anymore into your world <laughs> where you understand right. them. And and uh, and youth pastors and youth ministry, we were happy to do that as well. And mm. what we didn't have back then, maybe we did, but we just weren't listening. We didn't have prophets. I mm. feel like there were no prophets saying, "Okay, but there's a there's a problem with this system. There's a problem with what's going on here. It's, things are going to change. There's going to be a shift yeah. in the culture, and you're not set up for a shift in the culture." Mm. And so uh, it happened. The shift in the culture started to happen, and in the like early 2000s, mid 2000s, people started doing research about like what happens with youth group kids and, um, and the statistics, which have, have been proven multiple times over are that about half of them, good youth group committed disciples, um, church kids, about half of them walk away from the church, Mm -hmm. not necessarily from their faith, but away from the church as an institution when they, get to be in their 20s and maybe maybe they come back later when they have their own children or whatever but but it still felt to me like man if we're actually driving students away half of the students away from the church then there's something wrong with what we're doing and i wasn't the only one feeling that i did feel like at times i did feel like no one was really talking about it i think a lot of us were feeling it but nobody was really talking because we didn't know what to do Right. And um, so some much smarter people than I started to write books about this problem and come up with solutions to this problem. And so um, uh, Kenda Creasy Dean is one of those. um, uh, I think her book was called Almost Christian. And um, and there were there were others. Kara Powell, Sticky Faith uh, was another one. And there and there were a lot others as well. And, and that's when I realized that we had sort of compartmentalized youth ministry and taken it, um, well, I call it silos. I think most people know what silo ministry is all about, you know, yeah. you got children's right. ministry, you, got, you know, middle school ministry, high school ministry, college ministry, young adult ministry, you got all these silos in your church. And the short version of it is that I just realized that was the problem that yeah. that's that's where we had our issue is that we had we had decided that discipleship in this small window of time when their adolescence was kind of the answer to everything 
Mm. Well, the problem is now that adolescence has that time, that phase in life has expanded to like, it's a 20 year long process. Now. Right. Starts at age 11, ends at like age 31. Right. And, um, <laughs> and it used to be three years and we would just, you know, we had teenagers for three years, we would disciple them or whatever. Now it's like 20 years. And there, yeah. that means, and an adolescent's full-time job is trying to figure out who they are. Right independent of their parents like that's their job so that's a long time to be on a job hunt for 20 years figuring out who you are (laughs) and we just weren't we weren't set up to have impact in their lives for that long of a period of time Mm. and so my uh if i could summarize it i would say my definition of youth ministry changed and i'm not sure what it was before it was something about making disciples of teenagers i'm sure right but uh now i believe that youth ministry exists to be a catalyst in the passing of faith from one generation to the next so the way that faith is supposed to be passed down is from an older generation to a younger generation and what was actually happening because of the way we set things up was the older generation was abdicating that responsibility and just handing it off to you know, the professionals or the people who actually volunteered in that youth ministry area. And again, we were happy to do that. But I realize now, um, often that put us at odds, or at least in in a distance relationship with parents, mm. the primary disciplers of their own children. Right. And, uh, and we needed to change that. And so I think youth ministry now should be the conduit that helps those parents and the older generation, not just parents, but the whole congregation, the whole body of Christ is supposed to, it's our responsibility to pass faith onto the next generation as a community. Yeah. And we weren't doing that as a community. We were hmm. doing it in silos. And so um, I, I, the model that I like now, I would call intergenerational ministry. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a better way to, um, some people call it family ministry, but I find the word family sometimes is exclusive instead of yeah, inclusive, right? which yeah. is weird, right? Right. It, it seems is, like yeah. family. That's for everybody's part of the family, right? But no, <laughs> right. But sometimes people are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a widow. I don't have any kids. I'm, yeah. I don't have a family. So you have family ministry, but that's not for me. So yeah. I like to refer to it as, uh, yeah, as intergenerational ministry. And, mm. and there's some really good, there's some really good people doing it and, um, and it's, and it's working. So. Anyway. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's hard. I mean, I think that that way of doing ministry is just harder to some extent. Like it's kind of a hard sell, you know, because people are so used to doing ministry in a certain way and, you know, um, yeah, it's yeah. not programmatic. That's right. the, yeah, that's the totally. thing. It's, it's yeah. about relationship. It's about right. community and, and, and generally that's not just the problem with youth ministry. That's the problem right. with church, right? That's Very a, much. That's a problem we have in the North American church is we don't really want community. We want programs. Yeah. We don't really right. want community. We yeah. want to, we want something we can plug into and then unplug from and community is risky and mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it's high, high interaction. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, you don't just get to do a meet and greet on Sunday morning for four minutes before the sermon. And then right. that's your community. Like this is like living life with other people and, that's yeah. the only way that that's the only way teenagers are going to figure out what faith what faith looks like yeah. is if someone models it for them in proximity yeah. like close enough that they can actually see it and experience it and that's i think probably this this is all my opinion but i think that's what's missing uh yeah. from from a lot of our churches yeah yeah amen i yeah very much so 
Um, okay, let's jump back on your story train then. So after 20 years of youth ministry and working with uh, your denomination and all that stuff, let's let's uh, let's what's the next step? Yeah, so 20 years living there in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, yeah, I'd been working a lot with our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they um, they had offered me a position. Uh, of national youth director. So taking a role that sort of is a church consultant role, Mm -hmm. helping youth pastors all around the country, not just youth pastors, but even volunteer youth workers, because that's what the majority of them are. The majority majority of churches that have youth ministries don't have a professional pastor over their youth ministries. So Mm -hmm. so that was was sort of the role that they were offering. And I didn't want it. I didn't, um, it didn't feel like youth ministry to me. It felt like some weird corporate office gig. but yeah, God, God wouldn't let me let it go. And, um, and there it was, God, it was something that I just felt like I couldn't say no to. I was going to say no, but they wanted to interview me anyway. And, uh, I did the interview and at the end of the interview, it was a yes. I was actually, I was kind of excited. They were saying some of the things that I've just been talking about, about intergenerational ministry and what are we doing to help that next generation uh, fully understand who they are, uh, in relation to who God is. And so, so that, yeah, they, they actually won me over in interviews. So I took the position of what at that time was called national youth director, or, uh, I, I can't even remember what my title was, but it was, that was my job, yeah. but it required a move to Colorado Springs. And that was difficult. Obviously we'd lived, um, we'd lived in Wheaton and well, we lived in Naperville, uh, for for 20 years, basically, yeah, both right. our children uh, were born while we lived there, and um, moving them when they were going into like fifth and sixth grade just felt like, oh, this is just just brutal. Moving them yeah, away from everything. Time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I moved into that role. Uh, we moved to Colorado Springs, and I, I did that for uh, two years. And I loved it. It was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I really awesome. enjoyed, um, you know, I, you probably understand this because you've been around a lot of youth pastors. I don't always love youth pastors, um, yeah. especially yeah. in a in a group setting because <laughs> yes. it's like, okay, guys, listen, we all can't be the loudest, funniest guy in the room. Somebody, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Someone's going to have to stand down. Um <laughs> But so I was a little nervous about that. And, and it wasn't like that at all. I really found like great people and great depth and youth pastors who'd been doing it for years and total, like just totally isolation um, yeah. from anybody else and resources and, and encouragement and all these things. And so I loved actually that role of being able to uh, encourage and empower and resource youth pastors and youth uh, volunteer youth workers around the country. So it ended up being a much different job than I thought it was going to be. And I really, sure. I really loved it. It was really good. That's cool. That's cool. What, what was the like learning curve though, to like, you know, directing that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, again, going back to the church that I had been a part of as a youth pastor, they had, they had empowered me and given me a lot of freedom to get involved in national, um, organizational kinds of things in our denomination and even beyond I was working with uh, publishing companies who were doing conferences. And so I I had some experience with this kind of thing. Right. Um, But it was a, the shock was the very first Sunday 
when I didn't have anything to do any at any particular church. That would be and, real weird. Yeah, it was like the first time in 20 <laughs> years I was like, I, well, actually, I, I was like, I have to find a church. <laughs> like, right. I have to like figure out how to go to church right. rather than just be employed in a church. So yeah. I'd basically been to two churches my entire life, the one I grew up in and the one that I was a pastor at. And so right. here I was out there trying to find a, a church. So the adjustment to kind of a different pace of, of life and work was really interesting. Yeah. The, um, and then the adjustment to, uh, yeah, more of a consulting church consulting role. But again, I, I really did like it. It was just a different, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a very different, uh, animal than professional youth ministry. Yeah, I get that. Um, so how do you want to handle sort of the transition from that job to like, team send and yeah. you know um one child matters and all that stuff yeah so after uh two years i had no intention of leaving that job but yeah. we lived in colorado for uh two years when uh when my marriage rather abruptly ended uh, my mm-hmm. my wife uh left um i I have to be careful here because anytime a relationship comes to an end, there's two sides to the story of how a relationship right. comes to an end. <laughs> yeah. So I right. can only share my side. I actually don't know that much about her side. She hasn't shared a whole lot with me. Uh, she never, she never really did share like what all was involved, but she left uh, pretty abruptly in my mind. It had, I think been in her for a while that she was going to leave, but it felt very sudden. And, um, and then uh, I, because I've been around the church my whole life, I knew that was going to be a problem. Like right. not just not yeah. just the fact that I was going through a divorce, but the fact that the church doesn't really know what to do with leaders going through a divorce, and it's yes. usually messy and it's often awkward. And um, so I, uh, my decision was I would just resign, and mm. so I did. I resigned. I didn't want to be. I could have stayed like there was no one firing me. They didn't say you can't work here anymore. They didn't take away my license or my ordination or anything like that. They yeah. they were clearly saying you've, you've done nothing wrong, but we don't know what to do with you is kind of what I was, what I was hearing. And, and I felt that. And so I resigned and, uh, and that was, uh, really, really difficult. Like that mm. was dark, dark days. And yeah. Um, the healing that has happened to me since then is is immense, and so I'm able to talk about it like right now without uh, I'm I'm actually fighting my emotions a little bit right now. <laughs> sure, but, sure. <laughs> but I am able to talk about it um, because of uh, because of what God has has done in me. But I just knew when I left there, I knew I had a couple of things that were really important. One was uh, I needed time and space to heal. And I needed to protect my daughters as much as I could from the fallout of, of a divorce because I've watched it. You have too, right? We've watched it so many times as youth pastors, we see the way um, divorcing parents treat one another and the way they, the way they use their children sometimes against one another. And Mm -hmm. I just knew that we couldn't do that. And their mother was, uh, was in agreement with that. We we were not going to do that. We were not going to blow up their, their world any more than it was already being blown up um, just by the fact that their parents were separated and heading towards divorce. So, Mm. um, and then, but I couldn't work. That was the other thing is I I knew I just, I was a bit of a mess and I knew I couldn't work. It was going to be really hard for me to hold down a job. 
And I was pretty sure ministry was done, right? I, I yeah. was like, well, as a professional pastor, you go through a divorce, that's sort of the end. Like, you're done with ministry, so go find something else to do. So I was getting ready to, I had had a dream in, in my heart and had actually started sort of pursuing it that we could create, uh, my brother and I, that we could create a crowdsourcing website that would help people fund their short-term mission trips. Yeah. And so now I found myself unemployed and uh, with lots of time on my hand, kind of going through just personal uh, recovery and damage control and whatever else you want to call it. And, um, and I said, let's do it. Let's do it now. I mean, I've got the time. Let's, let's actually pursue this thing. So we created this thing called team send team send.org. And the goal of team send was to, uh, fix two major issues that I had with short-term mission trips, um, as a, as a leader and as an advocate of short-term mission trips, I had a couple of big problems. One of them was that, uh, we, it was really difficult to raise funds. And um, when we were raising the funds, often I would end up with like an envelope of thousands of dollars of cash (laughs) handed to me at the end of a meeting or at the end of a training session. And I had, I, at that time, I didn't have anywhere to put that. Like I was, you know, I was like sticking in my desk drawer and putting a napkin over it or something like that because (laughs) thieves never looked underneath paper. That is definitely Um, true. Right. So I just felt like there was some high risk stuff going on. And I knew if that was true for me, it was happening for other youth pastors around the country. There was high risk stuff going on when it came to fundraising and the temptation of having that much money and the, and the possibility of that money going missing and me not having an alibi for what happened to it. And, um, I just thought there's gotta be a way that we can, you know, the whole world is moving towards online payment systems and the churches at that time, especially was woefully behind. And so I wanted to create a a crowdsourcing website that would just help youth pastors and and other short-term mission trip leaders raise funds in a, in a really responsible way, in a way that would be team oriented. They would get to do it as a team and in a way that would hopefully limit the number of crazy uh, events you have to do to raise right. funds like car washes and spaghetti dinners and pancake breakfasts. And yeah. yeah. So, and then the other issue that, that I had was that we were asking people for money, a lot of money every year. Yeah. And, and then, and they were giving it to us like family and friends and church members were giving us thousands of dollars every year to do these short-term mission trips. And we, we were asking for it, but we were never thanking them for it. And we were certainly never really including them in what we were doing. And so TeamSend became sort of a a way to tell the story of the fundraising, of the training, of the trip, uh, the whole experience, and report it back to your donors, report it back to your investors, as I like to call them. So they used to feel like they were just ATMs, just doling out cash every year for kids to go on trips around the world. Now they feel more like yeah, I'm an investor. I'm actually, I know what's going on with this trip and with this team. So it, we kind of created sort of a travel blog element to Team Send as well. So so anyway, that's uh, an explanation of the business model. Um, I love it. And we did that for, I was doing that for about a year when I realized, man, startups, they cost a lot of money, but they do not make a lot of money. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so, so I just realized I got to find a job. I have to find something to do. And, uh, and so I started looking in the, the want ads, um, online 
looking at jobs and I didn't even know where to look. Like what is a guy who's got a Bible and theology degree, a master's in ministry and leadership and 20 years of church, 20 plus years of church ministry experience. What do you, what do you even look for? So literally the first two jobs I applied for one was uh, to the public library and the other one was to the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs. And they were both listed under nonprofits. And the job description or the job title for the both roles that I applied for was outreach director. And I was like, I didn't I didn't know that zoos did outreach. <laughs> I didn't know that libraries did outreach, but I've I've done a lot of outreach in I've my done, life. That so. is that fits into yeah. my uh my skill set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and they were they were actually really good jobs. Like it was basically the job was creating events that would make it exciting for people to come to the zoo or to be a part of the library. And, um, and by the way, that zoo is an amazing zoo. And actually the library that I was applying to in Colorado Springs is this really cool library. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can, you know, this would be really great. And I didn't get either job. So I was like, ah, oh, back to the drawing board. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I found, um, an organization called one child matters. They just had an ad out for a short-term mission coordinator. Hmm. I was like, well, I've done, you know, 30 plus short-term mission trips. I right. kind of I think a lot about that. I talk a lot about that. I've created an entire website about that. Yeah. Maybe I could go and work for them. <clears throat> so they called me in for an interview and um, it was pretty, pretty quickly after the interview started that we both realized, the guy interviewing me and I both realized this was not, this job was not a good fit for me. They were Interesting. like, they were like uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, administrative work and a lot of paperwork and a lot of, you know, charts and graphs and that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't want any of that. Um, but they said, there is another role here that we think we, you would be good for. And I said, I didn't know that you were hiring for another role. And they said, well, we're not, but um, we've, we've always said that if we find the right person, maybe we can make room for them. Mm -hmm. So they had another meeting. I had another interview and they did, they made room. They said, we have a role that like, we'd like you to consider. And uh, the role is more like a, um, a rep, a representative for the organization going around talking about who we are, what we do, all of that. And they offered me the job and I was, I was blown away. Like, again, I thought, kind of thought any kind of ministry like that was probably not going to ever happen again. So it's this global child development uh, organization, but they do all of their work through local churches. And so here I was getting That's a job awesome. to work again with local churches, which is, mm. which is really cool. That's amazing. But I, but I should also say this, I didn't tell them in that interview that I don't really like children that much. So <laughs> I thought, I thought I should keep that to myself because it's good. one child matters uh, is the name of the organization. And what I mean by that, people are always freaked out when I say that, like, <laughs> you don't like children. I just don't, I didn't care much about children's ministry when I was a youth yeah. pastor. I was, you know, I, I, I love that there's children's ministry, but right. I just want to deal with the teenagers, but send the teenagers to me. So, right. so I was a little, actually a little concerned. Should I take this job? Cause I have to go out there and be an advocate for children all the time. Like that's going to be my job. And, um, and that's when I actually realized I, I went on a trip. We went on a, what we call a vision trip to the Dominican Republic. And we got to tour this community and, um, it was a really 
it was a really bad slum. It was one of the worst I've ever been in. And I only felt safe because the pastor of the church in that community was the former leader of the gang in that community. Oh, and wow. so he kind of, he was known and everyone, you know, kind of respected him and maybe had a little fear of him. And he was leading us on this little tour through the, through this neighborhood, through this community. And uh, it was horrible. Like it was, it was drug dealers. It was gang members. It was mm. prostitution. It was, it was just, it was bad. It was drug addiction and children everywhere just um, in, it felt like they were living in a war zone. It just felt like a really mm. dangerous place for children to live. And we were going to the home of one of the girls who had been a part of our program since she was just a little child. And she was now in her teens and we walked into her house. And I remember the feeling of stepping into her home uh, which was, you know, a tiny little two room house yeah. and feeling like something's different in this home than what's going on out there on the street. And there was a sense of peace and calm. And she came out, uh, introduced us to her parents, um, showed us all the letters that her sponsor had written her over the years wow. and just shared kind of her dreams. And one of her dreams was to become a dentist. And uh, she had she had braces on that we had actually helped her get. And, um, she, I could tell that she was really excited about the fact that she had, you know, she had braces that she was wearing and she smiled, you know, huge smile. And there was just something about her that she was, this is a girl that's going to make a difference in her community, not just Mm. in her home and in her family, but in that whole community. And I was like, okay, if child programs, development programs, like the ones that we run produce teenagers like that, then I can talk about children to people all day long. And I felt really affirmed in the job that I had to do. And, mm. and I've been a, yeah, I've been a, what we call a child champion ever since I'm a champion for children and for child development programs and, and all, and we're a network of champions across the world doing that. So, yeah. So I That's love cool. what I do now. Yeah. I love it. Um, what, what makes one child now uh, different from a lot of those other organizations doing sort of similar work uh, in the world? Yeah, well, we all, uh, a lot of the kind of larger organizations fall mm-hmm. under the same category of child development or community development. Development is the kind of the the word that links us all together. But the way we all go about it is always a little different. Uh, sure. So some are focused more on doing real specific development in a community. Like let's transform this community with whatever thing, whatever the things are that are missing in the community that are needed. That's that's one of the ways to do it. But really what we're doing is child sponsorship. So that's a model that people use. But yeah. the way we do it is it's a one-to-one personal sponsorship. So it's one person, one sponsor to one child. But we also try and create a church-to-church dynamic as well, uh, church partnerships. So it's one church to one church or a cluster of churches in another place in the world. So awesome. uh, if your church were to sponsor, you know, if, if 20 people from your church sponsored children, we would make sure that those children are all coming from the same community mm. so that uh, you could actually go as a church. If you're going to invest long-term in a community, you want to, you want to do it together, right? right. You don't want to be, you have sponsored children all over the world. You want to have them in one place. And so uh, we can facilitate that opportunity. So, um, and then that, I didn't say this about short-term trips earlier, but uh, I don't love short-term mission trips. Sure. Some of them I do, yeah. but a lot of them I really don't like at all. And the main difference or this dis- distinguishing characteristic of a, of a mission trip that I would really like is one that has a long-term impact relationship kind of 
experience tied to it. It's not a yeah. one and done. It's not a let's go look at poor people in this country and then next year we'll right. go to a different country because we haven't seen that country yet. So it's really long-term investment in one place with one community. And um, I love that. I love that about who we are. Yeah. And um, and I, I think that makes us unique. That's one yeah. of the things that makes us unique is we really are trying to partner churches with churches. We're trying to uh, do everything that we do with a long-term strategy for the development of that child yeah. And that whole community as well. And yeah. even that whole country. We really believe in that. Like we're, yeah. if we're going to transform the world, uh, especially the world of, of extreme poverty, it's going to start with children and teenagers. That's, there's no other way. That's yeah. the only way it's going to happen. And they're yeah. going to have to take the lead. They're going to have to, at some point, step up and be the leaders for that change in their own communities. And that's what we believe in. I love it. I love it. It strikes me. I mean, it's holistic. I mean, even going back to the previous silo conversation, I mean, this is, yeah. it's holistic. It's bringing everybody in a church together. It's bringing, you know, to, to focus on one thing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's how it should be, I think. So I love that. It's good. Yeah, it is community building. Uh, that's, yeah. that's like here for the churches here in North America, it creates a community within your community of yeah. people who are advocating for children. And you, you know, about this other place and these, these other pastors and churches and children that you're connected to. And it, it feels like uh, you're doing something together, yeah. intergenerational, like I yeah. said earlier, right. like it's some inter intergenerational ministry. Hmm. That's cool. Um, this might be a weird question. So if it is, you know, not, no biggie, but how do you see sort of, I know, and some of them are more obvious, like the stepping stones, like doing youth ministry, you know, like these, but there's these stepping stones in your life and in your work life, um, that you see throughout the, the totality of your life. How do you see those sort of affecting the work you do now, even, you know, the, the divorce. And I mean, do you see those things coming to play in that sort of, you know, what you do today, I guess? Well, yeah. Um, so specifically speaking about the divorce, I, I have empathy for people today that I never had empathy mm -hmm. for in the past. I see things with really different uh, lenses now. Sure. Um, and I say it often, I, I say this to people all the time. When I was married, I cared a lot about my marriage. I was, I was invested. I was, not, uh, I was not an absentee landlord when it came to my marriage. Yeah. I was there. Uh, now that I'm divorced, I, I care about everybody's marriage. Yeah. yeah. So I, I ask my friends all the time, like, how's your marriage? How's it like, talk to me because, um, I don't know what I would have done differently if someone had asked me that question. Yeah. But, um, but just realizing that marriage is tough. Like I thought it was easy. I thought, I thought my marriage was ideal hmm. and I thought it was, um, I thought it was pretty easy. Like it felt like it was great. And now I know that there was just so much going on that was not being spoken about. There wow. was so much going on that was unseen. And and it makes me understand that there's no such thing as a simple marriage. There's no such thing as an easy uh, relationship. Right. All relationships are work. And mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, that definitely changes the way I interact with people. Uh, it changes the way I think about parenting and the way other people parent. I, I, I knew that single moms, that it was difficult to be a single mom. I knew yeah. that right. cognitively, but experientially being a single dad and think and looking at the lives that single moms have, I'm, I'm like, that's like, it's really crazy. I mean, I'm yeah. gainfully employed. There's a lot of single moms who have three jobs. I'm like, how do they take care of their kids? 
yeah. when they have three jobs. Like they, they have to kind of farm out the care of their own children because they have to work, you yeah. know, so many hours a week just to make ends meet. And so, um, yeah, I, I see things really differently and I'm definitely, uh, yeah, I'm definitely less arrogant. I think that's probably a good yeah. way to say yeah. it. I, I try and interact with people with a lot more, I don't try to, I, I have no choice, but to interact with people with a lot more humility hmm. and understanding brokenness and understanding that everybody's in a battle. Yeah. Everyone is. And hmm. I, uh, I don't think I lived a lot of my life that way. Yeah. I feel like I lived a lot of my life sort of having all the answers hmm. and being able to help other people find answers. And that's, that was kind of what I banked on. Um, and I used to, I used to literally say to people, I have a charmed life. I lead a charmed life. I said that often, like, wow. uh, I'm, I'm not just like throwing that out there as something yeah. I said once. I would say that all the time because everything just, it all works out. It all works out. Yeah. I don't go around saying that anymore. I don't yeah. talk about leading a, <laughs> a charmed life. Um, I have a, you know, two teenage daughters. I love being their dad, but this is work. Yeah. Like this is, this is a lot of work. It's the best work. It's good work. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of work and, yeah. um, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like everything's easy anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, at one time in my life, it kind of felt that way, but it's not. So mm. I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, you, you, you did. I yeah. talked a lot. No, you did. You answered my question. <laughs> I, I loved I loved hearing when we got together last time, just hearing you talk about this stuff. I think, you know, I think it's something we don't talk about in the church, right? We uh, kind of gloss over this stuff. And um, yeah, and I think, yeah, especially being a pastor, it's easy to get into that mode of like, I have something to give rather than like sort of experiencing, you know, the pain that others are going through and like, and journeying with them, you know? Uh, yeah 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 i would say that empathy that i always had for teenagers i now feel more generally for people like um you know there's this is a a weird example but i watch people debating on facebook you know uh, about whatever whatever they're debating about but they're just they're going after each other yeah and um and I've never once joined in any of those, even though sometimes, you know, something makes me angry and I want to right. say something about it. I've yeah. never joined in. And the main reason I don't join in is because I have no idea what that person's going through. Right. I have no idea what their actual story is. All I can see is this kind of surface thing that shows up in social media. But um, but for me to be unkind or judgmental towards them based on what I can see there is just, it's ludicrous. Yeah. And, um, and they don't know my story either. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess now they do, it's out there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah. I just, I just feel like, uh, I have a lot more grace in my life than I've ever had. Uh, I didn't even share the story of God's healing work in me. Yeah. It's a long one, but mm-hmm. the short version of it is God like rescued me. Like mm-hmm. he, he, uh, in many ways showed me, Hey, I am right here with you. Mm. I see all of this. Um, I feel all of this. I don't like it either. And I'm right here with you in it. And that man, that saved me. I, mm. I don't know where I wasn't going anywhere good in my head. I know that yeah. much. Um, and, uh, and God really, you know, he made me, he made me feel whole again, which I didn't, uh, I didn't know was even possible. So wow, really cool. 
That's powerful. Uh, and I think there's probably a lot of people listening that, that need to hear that, you know? Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. do you have, uh, just, I, I want to ask you, cause we talked about this last time, uh, we met, but just how, um, you've seen the church sort of handling singleness, you know, uh, whether through divorce or just, you know, uh, people, you know, uh, yeah. being single, like, how, can you talk a little bit just about how, like that perspective has changed now with where you're at? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's interesting to me. I don't know what people think when I walk into church, sure. like I don't, I, they may not think anything, but, right. um, but I feel very alone walking mm-hmm. into church now. Yeah. And that's a feeling I've never had in my life that, you know, I, we, a typical Sunday morning would be, we walk into a, a church building and my daughters would go to the high school, go down the hall to the high school class. And I go and find a seat in the sanctuary for, you know, the service. And, um, I feel very isolated. In Mm -hmm. fact, uh, I don't think I ever feel more lonely than I do sitting in church alone, surrounded by people. Yeah. And, you know, we do, we still do the, you know, two minutes, shake hands with people around you thing. And so, and I don't mind that because I'm an extrovert. It's not, I know for some people that's like the worst minute of every week. It's when they have to like shake hands with strangers. (laughs) Uh, But I don't mind that, but, but there's no, you know, there's no genuine relationship there. And I just think um, I've told several pastor friends, I look for the single people in your church. and, And although we're a smaller number, I think single dads, that's a particularly lonely person for some yeah. reason. I don't know exactly why. I think it's because we are more aware of single moms and we have actual programs for single moms. Sure. Um, we, they have names even, like some of those programs have names. There's no there's no single dad groups in churches. And yeah. I think it's because we're a small, we're probably a smaller demographic. But um, but I, I just feel like we don't, maybe we don't do a great job of looking for those people and just lonely people in general. Mm. Uh, one of my friends recently said, um, look for the guy or the the guy or the girl standing on the side of the lobby on their phone. Right. Because that's their that's their way to not talk. That's their way right. to not enter in the community. That's what I've done that. That's totally been me. Like I've been the guy standing off on the side of the lobby with my phone out, not looking at anything in particular, but just not having anyone to talk to. And there I am on my phone. So yeah. um, it doesn't mean that I have no responsibility to, to meet people and create community for myself, but I do feel like it's, it's a hard, it's a really difficult thing to do. So there's empathy. There's this empathy again for people that I didn't see before. Mm. Uh, And now I see all over the place, everywhere I go, I see the people who are standing off by themselves, not because they're awkward because they're alone. They're just alone. And um, there's no one meeting them or anything. So, yeah, I, I encourage pastors and churches to have a plan for those people. Yeah. Like figure out how you're going to reach those people or or just engage them. Mm. Because honestly, I don't think they would be there if they wanted to be alone. Right. If they just wanted to be lonely. I don't yeah. think they would show up on Sundays. Mm. So they want something. They're there for some form of community. Whatever whatever that is is yet to be defined by meeting them. But right. I think they're, they're there for a reason. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I I think that's an important message and it's one that like, you know, I think as a pastor, it's easy to overlook. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's a great message to the, to the church in general. So thanks for, thanks for talking about that. 
Yeah, no, good question. I don't know if I answered it completely, but good question. I liked your answer. It was good. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you ready to jump into the last two questions? Sure. I'm, okay. I feel ready. I don't okay. know. It depends on what the questions exactly are. <laughs> the, so. You'll be great. You'll be great. Uh, my first question is, what is the strangest job that you have ever had? Oh, strangest job. Well, um, I've had, I've had so many jobs, like so many jobs. <laughs> um, but during that, those two years where I couldn't find a job as a youth pastor, um, I was doing a lot of different things. I was driving a delivery truck for an auto paint company. I was, um, I was doing just kind of odd painting jobs here and there. I was refinishing people's decks. I was doing just about, I, I actually built a house with a guy. I have zero <laughs> skills. Like he said, go up there on the roof and snap a line. I was like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't even know what snap a line means. And, uh, so I, I learned about construction on that job, but probably the weirdest one, it, it doesn't sound that weird, but the weirdest one was I was, I was night security at a construction site. And so it was just me in one of those, you know, those trailers that they always have on a right. construction site. And it was freezing cold, middle of winter in Calgary and freezing cold. And there's a little space heater in there. And I had to turn the space heater on as, as full as I could, as hot as I could, just to get the, this little trailer to warm up enough to not just sit there and shiver all night long. Right. And, um, and the heater was so loud that I actually couldn't hear anything that was going on outside the trailer in the construction site. So the the boss, the actual owner of the construction company, was driving by one night, saw me sitting in the trailer and thought he would see how, how good the security guard was. So he stopped his truck and he pulled pulled into there and he and he started going out and just like tossing lumber around and knocking stuff over and banging on big metal drums and doing making all this noise. And I just sat in there playing, you know, just like playing solitaire on my phone or something, whatever I was doing. <laughs> He's watching me through the window and I don't, didn't hear a thing, just like in my own little world. So I got fired the next morning. <laughs> oh, man. That's rough. So, That's rough. Like, hey, listen, if you're going to put the noisy heater in here, I don't think it's you can fire fault. me for being yeah, completely deafened. You need it. an upgrade, upgraded heater here. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> some radiant heating in this floor. That's what I mean. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my final question then is, what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring the kingdom more into their work? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I guess, first of all, what I would say is um, the kingdom belongs in your work. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not something that is relegated to people who are professional pastors or professional Christian workers of some sort or, um, or missionaries. If, if the kingdom doesn't show up in your day-to-day -day work, then how are people going to know what the kingdom is, especially those people or what life in the kingdom could be like, yeah. especially those people who are never going to set foot inside a church. Mm -hmm. So caring, um, I've often said it this way, the kingdom exists wherever the will of the king is done. Mm -hmm. That's where the kingdom exists. And so Wherever you do, how, wherever and however you do your job, doing it with the thought of what would, you know, what does God want? What does, what's good for the kingdom in my job here, in my role here? 
and living and working in that way, then the then the kingdom arrives and it, it travels with you. It is it is established wherever you are doing the will of the king. Mm. And of course, that means pretty important to know what the will of the king is, right? Yeah. So yeah. I tell people when they're when we're talking about sponsoring children, you know, I say if you want to know what God's will is, follow his heart. Like, mm. what is God's heart for? Well, you don't have to look very far in Scripture to discover that God's heart is for children. Yeah, uh, it's not. That's not all His heart is for, but His heart is for children. And if you want to live in the will of God, if you want to live uh, the kingdom life, if you want to put it that way, then uh, then follow the heart of God. And mm-hmm. what's God's heart for your coworker? What's God's heart for your boss? Yeah, uh, or your employees, or um, you know that that person that you sit next to in a cubicle that you can't stand or <laughs> the stranger who's on a, a flight next to you on one of your business trips or whatever it is. What's God's heart for, for that person? And if you chase God's heart, the kingdom, the kingdom is at hand. It arrives yeah. with you. So I guess, I don't know if that's exactly advice. It's a little bit more philosophy, but I love go. it. I think that's great philosophy. I think that's uh, important. So James, man, so fun hanging out. This has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it has been good. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I love talking to you, uh, even when we're not being recorded. It's really fun. So it's really good. (laughs) All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from uh, James. I know it was like a walk down memory lane for me. Uh, I hope you uh, felt some of that as you listened to the interview. And I just encourage you to check out both Team Send and One Child. Uh, they're doing amazing stuff over there. James has some awesome stuff going. So make sure you're just keeping up with him. Uh, yeah. I, I just feel like sometimes we walk through depths that we don't necessarily understand. We walk through trials and tribulations. And I think from James's interview, you can see... God has used even those things and that the depths of sorrow uh, to do uh, amazing things for his kingdom. So I just hope that encourages you today uh, that uh, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're going, what you're going through, uh, God has something for you and and be encouraged. And uh, until next time, get out there and hustle.